not accepted as a law, but it's a theory, the next, next step uh, from being a law. And uh, the, the spontaneous generation held by evolutionists, the spontaneous uh, evolution of life from non-life, violates both the law of biogenesis and the cell theory. Now, the law of biogenesis says that all living things uh, came from other living things. All living things come from other living things, okay? Um, the cell theory, you know, but the spontaneous generation says the first living thing had to come from non-living material. So it violates the law of biogenesis. The cell theory says that the cell is the basic unit of life, okay? It's the most basic unit of life. It's not, it's not always the smallest unit of life because an ostrich egg is, is one cell, and that can get pretty big. But it's the basic unit of life, okay? Um, and the cell theory teaches that new cells arise only from pre-existing cells, okay? Uh, now, my college textbook, my college biology textbook when I was a freshman uh, with Liberty University, um, it was an evolutionary textbook. It stated new cells arrived from pre-existing cells, and then it said, except, of course, for the first cell, which had to have evolved from non-living material. Well, where did they get that? They presented no evidence for that, but what they basically said, said was, well, since from nothing, nothing comes, the first cell had to come from somewhere. We deny God's existence. The only thing left is non-living material. So even though it just violates the theory we're giving you, so be it. That's better than bending the, the knee before God's throne. Uh, but the evolution model holding the spontaneous generation um, violates both the law of biogenesis and the cell theory. Basically, uh, the natural laws... The laws of nature by themselves do not produce what is called specified complexity. Um, specified complexity is the highly complex information found in living things, okay? Uh, Norman Geisler, a Christian philosopher, stated that the nat natural laws can explain the Grand Canyon, how the Grand Canyon got there. Uh, however, natural laws cannot explain the faces on Mount Rushmore. You see, you've got highly complex information uh, that shows evidence of intelligent design in the faces on Mount Rushmore. Uh, it has been proven that a single-celled animal contains enough genetic information to fill an entire library. In fact, the, the DNA strand itself, the DNA alone, gives you enough information to fill one volume of an encyclopedia. But a single-celled animal contains enough genetic information when you throw the RNA and everything else into it to fill an entire library. Now, the question has been proposed, how many explosions would you need to have in a print shop before, by chance, out would pop a Webster's Dictionary? Well, no matter how many explosions you had, you're never going to get a Webster's Dictionary. It takes intelligent design. Uh, so intelligent intervention is needed to produce the specified complexity found in a single-celled animal, uh, what the evolutionists would call first life. Um, and so I think the creation model here, uh, as before, is more plausible. By the way, Carl Sagan, uh, Carl Sagan has stated that 
if we receive a single sentence, a single message from outer space, that would prove intelligent life on other planets. Just a single sentence. Carl Sagan said that, that, that it would prove intelligent life on other planets. Yet, an entire library's worth of information from a single-celled animal apparently got here by chance, according to Carl Sagan. Okay? So he's using two separate standards there. Uh, or He was using two separate standards, I should say. Carl Sagan uh, died, I don't know if it was a few months ago or a year ago or whatever. I'm losing track of time with age. Uh, and it's a, energy deterioration is what it is. But uh, one of the two most uh, uh, eminent scientists from Great Britain, uh, Wick Ramesing, uh, has stated openly, uh, he and his colleague uh, Hoyles, that life cannot be produced by non-intelligence. For the production of life, it necessitates intelligent intervention. By the way, you, Ross, an astrophysicist in his work, The Creator in the Cosmos, has given evidence for the fine-tuning of the universe in order for life to exist on Earth. Uh, he, he brings up 25 narrowly defined per parameters for life to exist on Earth that would have to, uh, these parameters would have to be in uh, effect throughout the entire universe and lo and behold all 25 of these uh, are in effect. He also lists 32 other n uh, narrowly defined uh, parameters to give uh, uh, to show evidence for the design of the galaxy, our, our galaxy, the sun, the earth, and the moon system uh, for life support on earth. An example of this would be the distance between the earth and the sun. If the earth was just a little bit closer to the sun, you know, we would all fry. If, if the earth was a little bit further away, we'd all freeze to death. Uh, but for life to be possible on the, on, uh, the planet earth, there are 25 factors that are essential for that, and the universe was designed exactly that way. And then there's 32 other uh, aspects that need to be uh, uh, defined, uh, designed in, in 32 other areas, just, just for our galaxy, the sun, the earth, and the moon to support life on Earth. Um, so basically, the more we examine the universe, whether we look at a small, tiny, single-celled animal or whether we look at the universe as a whole, the more we examine the universe in which we live, the more we see evidence of design, of intelligent design, and uh, the more evidence we see uh, for the Creator. Uh, let me see here. Okay, uh, now what I want to do is look at the origin of new life forms, and we'll be closing with, with this after we examine this, the origin of new life forms. We already looked at the origin of the universe and the origin of first life. And now I want us to look at the origin of new life forms. When, when one looks at the fossil record, fossilized, you know, dead animals in the fossil record, we find that there are gaps and new life forms appear suddenly and fully developed. 
Uh, the gaps in the fossil record, the gaps between species, show no evidence uh, for missing links. Now, I've got a quote here that I would like to read from uh, Dr. Colin Patterson, who is a, a bigwig uh, atheist evolutionist. Uh, he's the senior principal scientific officer of uh, the paleontology department of the British Museum of Natural History in London. Um, I believe, I'm not sure, I believe that museum has more fossils than any other museum on earth. Uh, but he's one of the foremost experts in his field. And in a personal letter uh, to a creationist named Sunderland, Sunderland was asking him for, okay, you're proposing your views in this book, but you're not giving evidence for them. And so th this is what Colin Patterson, who's an atheistic evolutionist, this is what, how he responded in writing. I fully agree, and, and keep in mind, he's one of the foremost experts on the fossil record. So if there's evidence there, he should know it. I fully agree with your comments on the lack of, of direct illustration of evolutionary transitions in my book. If I knew of any fossils, if I knew of any fossil or living, I would certainly have included them. Yet Gould, Gould is an evolutionist who admits there's no, tr no fossils of transitional forms and comes up with an alternative theory. We'll talk about him next week. Yet Gould and the American Museum people are hard to contradict when they say there are no transitional forms. You say that I should at least show a photo of the fossil from which each type of, of organism was derived. I will lay it on the line. There is, there is not one such fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. And so the guy who's got access to all the information, Dr. Colin Patterson, uh, one of the foremost experts on the fossil record, says, well, the reason why I didn't present any examples of recognized transitional forms uh, of missing links between the major species is because uh, there are none. We haven't found any. And, uh, and that's from Dr. Colin uh, Patterson. Um, when we talk about new life forms, not only do, should we look at the, you know, the fossil record, which supposedly evolutionists say that this is evidence that, uh, of the evolution of, uh, from a single-celled animal all the way up to man, uh, we also, one of the most complex things you can talk about as far as uh, new life forms would be the human brain. And the human brain contains enough information to fill 20 million volumes um, encyclopedia. So I would argue that once again, uh, intelligent intervention is needed. Natural law alone, natural law by itself, nature left to itself, cannot produce 20 million volumes of encyclopedia from one library's worth of information, from a single cell. I mean, somehow you've got to go from one library's worth of information to 20 million volumes, totally by natural law, and uh, that just will not happen. So in, intelligent intervention is needed to impart more complex information. Now, evolutionists often point to mutations as the process uh, by which evolution takes place. There's a problem there. They have a problem when they point to mutations. The problem here 
is that mutations do not add more complex information to the genetic code. They only garble the already existing genetic code. In other words, uh, let's just say that Phil Fernandez's genetic code was the letters of the alphabet, 26 letters from A to Z, okay? If a mutation had occurred, um, you would not add a 27th or a 28th letter. You would just garble the order of those 26 letters, okay? So you're not adding any new uh, information. Um, so that's problematic. Uh, because basically, time, you know, plus chance, plus natural laws will never produce more complex information. So Charles Ryrie, a Christian theologian, asks the evolutionist the question, where did the single-celled animal get genes for teeth? Now think about it. A single-celled animal has no genetic information for teeth. Mutations don't add any new genetic information. So how did a single-cell animal evolve into human beings who have teeth. And, you know, the list could go on and on. It didn't have, doesn't have genes for hair. doesn't have genes for genetic information to produce a nose. And uh, so basically you cannot go from the simple to the complex through natural law alone. Once again, uh, intelligent intervention is needed. And uh, so the creation model is more plausible. So I'll close with that. The conclusion of our three scientific tests, uh, creationists have never seen the invisible creator, except those who saw when the invisible creator became visible and walked the earth, and we will see him face to face when our Lord returns. But creationists have never seen the invisible creator. Still, evolutionists have never seen the supposed evolutionary changes of the past. So we must use the principles of uniformity and causality to see which model, the creation or evolution model, is more plausible. And the princ these principles declare creationism to be far superior of a model than that of evolution. The universe needs a supernatural cause, and this cause must be an intelligent being to bring life from non-life and complex life forms from simple life forms. Now, next week, what I'd like to do is look at some of the major problems with evolution. Uh, we'll talk about uh, uh, the dating methods uh, of the evolutionist, and we'll also talk about the supposed missing links between apes and men, and uh, Archaeopteryx, uh, thought to be a transitional form between reptiles and birds. So we'll discuss some of those issues uh, next week as we discuss the major problems uh, with evolution. At this point, uh, let's close with a word of prayer.